Welcome back to the Host Dispatch. In this episode, Anar and Joe had the chance to sit down with none other than Fernando A. Flores, author of Death to the Bullshit Artists of South Texas, the short story collection that revived host publications as we know it after taking a brief hiatus. Fernando is a friend of host publications, and we like to think of his book as a psychedelic romp through the Rio Grande Valley. We call them punk rock fairy tales about artists and misfits trying to make noise and live forever in the unforgiving landscape of the Rio Grande Valley. Fernando is a Texas writer who moved to South Texas at a young age, living near McAllen. His works include... Death to the Bullshit Artist of South Texas, his novel, Tears of the Truffle Pig, which was long listed for the Center for Fiction First Novel Prize, and the forthcoming short story collection, Valley-esque. Check out Valley-esque as it is available now. Fernando is an excellent writer and, as I said, a dear friend of the press. And we're so excited about the stories in Valley-esque, which just gives us an excuse to revisit Death to the Bullshit Artists of South Texas once again. We hope you enjoy this conversation among friends. And as always, thanks for listening. Welcome, Fernando, host dispatch. Thanks for coming. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Great to great to be here to be a disembodied voice in in a podcast. <laughs> yeah, we love we love to talk to you, and we love to talk to you in cyberspace. Yes, totally. Yeah, that's where I'm most comfortable. <laughs> the disembodied voice of Fernando Flores. <laughs> I, I hear a story coming on. Uh, this is just ignoring me, host publications, talking to Fernando Flores, who, you know, we were very fortunate to have you publish your book, uh, Death to the Bullshit Artists of South Texas, with us a few years ago. And this is, you know, I'm just going to chat about Fernando. What do you think, Anar? Yeah, I'm I'm really excited that I get to spend some time with you both um, for our listeners. Death of the Bullshit Artist marked the revival of host publications, and we're just so grateful to have published your collection, Fernando. You know, we, we mention it all the time, but when we sell bullshit artists at markets, we always joke that, that it's enchanted, that there's something really mystical happening because people mm. will spot it from across a room and just gravitate towards it it's our bestseller people are like really mesmerized that's um, interesting yeah. yeah that's weird it's very bizarre that's cool <laughs> yeah yeah it's very very magnetic people come towards it and stuff like that and you know and then of course since then you've done tears of the truffle pig yes. and now may 3rd uh you have your third book coming out another collection of short stories called valley-esque yeah yeah definitely yeah, but you know what? I see that like, like to me, like that's my like my first like real like collection of short stories. Like that's the bullshit artist. Like, is it a collection of short stories? I don't know. Like, like is Winesburg, Ohio, a collection of short stories? Maybe I don't know. Like that's pretty much that's one of the books that I try to like model off of. So, uh, so you know, I think about so I'm like that's to the bullshit artist. That is a short story collection. I suppose it is. It is short stories, but to me, like. 
it was like a project within itself you know even though like all the stories are different and i try to do stylistically things different but there's still that thematic thing that holds them together you know so uh yeah so i don't know so but i love you know i'm you know i'm really grateful y'all put out that's the poster artist of Texas. What can I say? You know. Um, uh, oh, we're so happy. Yeah. And yeah. I'd like to start with Death to the Bullshit Artists as kind of an entry point into just a little chat. Yeah. You know, it's just one of the things that all of your writing does, but especially bullshit artists, is gives me a real sense of place. And it's a place that I don't know. It's the Rio Grande Valley. And your your combination of getting me into there through the people and events and the music is just astounding. Was that something you really wanted to do in the stories was kind of give somebody like me who doesn't know the valley that much a sense of place of this difference even within the state of Texas? Hmm, that's interesting. You know, uh, I guess at the time, uh, I was reading all kinds of stuff, and I was really interested. And uh, for the first time, I was paying attention to, like, in books, when they give you directions. I'm thinking of, like, The Savage Detectives by, like, Roberto Bolaño, where, like, they're walking down Mexico yeah. City or whatever, and he's giving you like, he's giving you, like, directions. And, like, I don't know. I don't know what he's talking about. But I was like, okay, you know, that's cool that he gives you directions. He gives you like a sense of what movement and place that I've never had never really seen that. So I'm like, okay, I can do that with uh, South Texas. And, you know, there's a lot of parts in there where I like make stuff up, where I put like a water tower where it doesn't belong, where I make up an intersection. I make a, I, like one of the streets will be real and the other one will not be real, you know? So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so I really wanted like this sense of like, yes, realness and place, but I also wanted it to be made up too. So even a person who is from the region who would read it, wouldn't, uh, would, would maybe not recognize it or maybe would be suspicious of the writer of me. I'm like, or like, I kind of wanted a sense of, you know, a sense of displacement also within the stories, even if they were uh, 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 all taking place within the South Texas, within these four or five counties in South Texas. But also, like, it also gave me, like, you know, it gave me, for lack of a better way to say it, uh, it gave me a, I guess, an excuse to live out my rock and roll fantasies, I guess. Yeah. I got to... I got to make up like fake lyrics and like I got to make up fake bands and I'm like, okay, to me, what was fun about it is that I got to, you know, embody that, I guess, kind of like that style of music and like, I don't want to say make fun of it, but, uh, or parody it, but like I try to, I don't know, try to, uh, make up my own, uh, you know, band, my own lyrics, my own semi, you know, semi-mediocre, semi, like the lyrics that are like, are these good or are these bad? I don't know. Like, yeah, yeah. And that's kind of like what I try to do. I try to maintain that balance of, is this good or bad? Like when I, when I, you know, when you have a moment of reading like the band's lyrics, you know, I think like the first story is like the only one where like I significantly like laid down the lyrics of the band. 
And and if you read them, they're like like I don't know, like is it good or is it bad? Like especially like if you're hearing the song, I'm yeah. like I don't know. Like to me, it was fun to try to make them up. I don't know, like you know, and not, and to not try to be like oh, not try to write, not to try to act, try to write like good meaningful things, but try to write things that would be realistic within this band and within this people. You know, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. Was there a time, is there a hidden wish that some sometime that you had been in a band like in the first story? You know, because it's it's very much a, a story about a teenage band. Yeah. And, you know, and they they get their gigs and then they grow up, yeah. you know. But is that something that you did or wished you'd done or uh, had a desire to do or something like that? No, no, I don't want to say that either, but I don't know. It was something interested narrative wise and storytelling wise in it for me, uh, you know, and there's something like magical in it too. Like mm-hmm. even like in my experiences, like I'm thinking of like this band that existed short for a short period of time in south texas i don't want to see their name but they it all consisted of like 15 year old kids you know and uh and it was amazing it was mind-blowing it was like oh my god and the thing is that when you're a kid like that you know you can dedicate yourself like full time you know you can practice every day with your kid your friends you know you live with your parents you're in high school still so i was really interested in these these you know and and also the afterwards, you know, when you graduate, you have to you go out into the world and you it's harder to gem out and it's harder to have that magic that you can create from uh, practicing all the time. And right. just being like, I don't know, that that naivete and that drive you have when you're a teenager. Mm-hmm. So whenever, you know, I don't know, there was a long period in my life where whenever I'd see a state, whenever I'd go to a show, like in my 20s, I went to shows a lot. I stopped really going to shows when I was when I turned 30 and stuff like that. I just got tired of it. But uh, whenever I would see a band and I would be like impressed by them and they'd all be like in their 20s, in their early 20s, 20, 21, 22, or even 18, 19, the first instinct uh, after being odd and being like, oh my God, these kids have something special and crazy. Is this, uh, I, have, I always have this moment of like fear for them because I'm like, oh my God, I am like, I hope, I hope these kids are able to make it. I hope this band is able to, you know, survive all the crazy things out there to be able to maintain this magic I just witnessed, you know? So mm-hmm. I also try thinking about, uh, the literature that existed from South Texas, I was like, I don't know, a lot of it was really, uh, a lot of it is really uh, like stark and realist, very much derived and inspired by the mid 20th century American tradition. Yeah, that hard realist tradition. Yeah, exactly. So I try really try to deviate from that and to try to do something different. But also in these stories, I want to say that, you know, Death to the Bullshit Artists of Texas was my side project all along. It was the project where you know, whenever I know I would read something and I noticed a, an author doing something, I was like, OK, I'm going to try and replicate that in my own way. So and I just threw all those things into this whole collection. You know, okay. so that's why it's kind of it has its own style. It has its own kind of frenetic style that I, I'm not, I haven't been able. I mean, I've never been tried to duplicate and I never would again because it's its own style. And yeah, that's what I like about it. Really, I go back and I'm like. 
you know, a lot of people say that I have really long run-on sentences, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, was, that's the whole point. Yeah, that's you know, I was written. Thank you for noticing this stylistic <laughs> choice, like, you know, like. So uh, you know, a lot of it is like inspired by like you know zines and the kind of uncopyedited kind of you know writing that exists in zines, you know. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the whole the whole drive of the book throughout all of the stories, you know, I see, you know, I know that the stories that are towards the end of the book you actually added to this edition that were not in the early, very limited edition. Uh, and there's a real development of not only your style and everything like that, but a wider and wider interest in artistic production. And there's a sense that I get that not only are you giving me a sense of place, but there's a sense that you're really wanting to write about creativity and the uh, ephemeral nature of creativity. Like you were just talking about the bands, they, they disappear. And uh, these characters that are in the other stories, they, they live these things and the creation does not continue. It's there. And, uh, then it's it dissipates and that's beautifully done in all of stories you know especially the story at the end that deals with the border wall and the longest story in the book but you know it's creativity that i i see uh in the you know like you said the ephemeral nature of creativity and it, you know you might wake up tomorrow and you don't have an idea to write down or your bandmates gone or, you know, and then it comes back just as magically. So that's, that's something I get uh, from these stories as well. Totally. Yeah. You know, when, when, when that first edition came out, when, when, uh, when the first volume of bullshit orders came out and it had those first seven stories, the last three stories, I already had like the beginning of the three stories. I just had, didn't have them finished. Mm-hmm. In twenty was it twenty fifteen in the fall of twenty fifteen, yeah there was a Texas Monthly article and they mentioned bullshit artists. So when that article was mentioned, I had yet to finish the stories, but when it was published, I saw that bullshit artists would. I had this vision of like it being a book one day or like it getting like more attention or me being all of a sudden self-aware of these as a collection. Mm-hmm. And I knew I had to finish the stories. Otherwise I'd never be able to finish them. I was like, okay, if I don't finish these three stories and bullshit artists now, I'm never going to be able to, because I'm now way too self-aware of what I'm doing here. I'm now way too self-aware of the impact to the community that I wrote about. And I knew that I knew that I was just going to become more and more self-aware as time passed. So in that, in the fall of 2015, I finished it. I finished the rest of the stories mm-hmm. and, and those like whatever was left of the month after that article came out. I think that article came on September or something of 2015. And, uh, and yeah, and so I, I, so I finished them really fast at the end of the year, and 
you know, it was just a manuscript sitting around for a while. Yeah. So I, so now I was happy. I was like, okay, I did what I needed to do. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. unpublished as a, as a whole. Uh, I, it's a manuscript and I finished it. So I was like, who cares? It's done. You know, I have no worries about it. It's done. I did what I wanted to do, you know, yeah. Ha whatever happens from now on, I, I don't care, you know, because the stories are, are finished, you know? So whatever feed, feedback or whatever happened afterwards, like I really didn't care. I even made fun of it. You know, there's even a point in there where something like that happens in real life. And I knew that it was my, it, that it was my opportunity to do it. I was like, I gotta, I gotta address this in some kind of way in the book. So there's like a quote unquote Easter egg in there of like this meta moment where a character publishes a, book about a fake band and and then the bank with the band within the stories is pissed off is angry <laughs> so that was like my little like cervantes moment i have having a little meta moment within my own book where something kind of like a reflects reality happens within the book itself so i was kind of really proud of that mm -hmm. and yeah really happy when i did that i was like this was my way of like kind of getting back at all that and just like having it hidden in there. If to, to anybody who reads it, it's obvious where it is, but I'll never tell anybody where it is. Right. So. Yeah. Uh, chime in. And all right. it was it was quite a wonderful process to work with uh, Fernando and Anar with host publications. This was Anar's first book. And so it was a uh, quite a whole process in working with Fernando and uh, can we talk, you know, uh, a little bit about the fun we had coming up with the cover? Oh, yeah. Um, sorry, what were you going to say, Joe? No, I was just going to say that the original cover of the limited print edition that had come out before with the seven stories Bunny Man. had a picture of, of Bunny Man. And uh, yeah. when Fernando approached me to, you know, publish the book with host publications, you know, I was like, oh, that's great. This bunny man on the cover. And then, you know, there's a whole story that <laughs> went along with that. Oh so the beautiful, stunning cover we ended up using is uh, photographed by Nar. I love this. I love the psychedelic cover. Yeah, it really uh, captures this kind of like uh, acid Western kind of cover, like El Topo yeah. or something. Exactly. So you want to chat about that process a little bit about how we came up, how how you guys came up with that? I just let I, I just let y'all do it. You know. Oh, oh yeah. Sure. I think the only template that I had was uh, the first Velvet Underground album. Remember, when, uh, mm -hmm. was like with the font. Uh, it says, you know, my name is like in cursive, like the Velvet Underground is, and I forget I forgot exactly what we talked about, but I kind of want had this idea of like the first Velvet Underground album or something, right? Yeah, I, so I do want to talk about the original Bunny Man image that you had sent. Um, I remember you telling me that it was a still from a project that you had worked on, um, maybe a film. Yeah, yeah, a failed, a failed project. Yeah, and I remember that was, that was the original note was that you wanted the Bunny Man on the cover and that you wanted it to look like a record like an album cover yeah 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 no i had a vision of it you know i i don't know i didn't have any books out at the time so 
Yeah. Uh, eventually, I was like, I don't know. I think eventually I just threw in the towel or y'all walled me out of the process. And I was like, whatever, you know, whatever it's going to be, it's going to be fine. It's just going to be out there, yeah. you know. And, and I'm totally, I couldn't be happier with it. You know, the spine looks beautiful. You know, it's, it's it's gorgeous, you know. I think it does look like an album cover, really. You know, I I like it. I like it. You know, the, the intention is there, you know. I am. Um... I do want to preface this with just telling the the people that when Fernando's book came out, I had originally just been hired at host publications to revive the Twitter account and <laughs> to just maintain our social media. Um, eventually, I started redesigning our website. And I've always had a passion for design and for photography and for music, which makes it even easier to love Fernando's work. Of course, but um, but as a graphic designer, like I've really grown just exponentially over the past few years, um, and it was absolutely a passion when I started working on Fernando's cover. But I did not have the skills. I was kind of just a wild person, and I made so many mock-ups, all of them wildly different, and none of them were right. They needed to have this like magical psychedelic element to them. And the more I tried, the weirder and like uglier everything got. And then Kate Kelly pointed out that I had this image. It was my iPad cover and it was like my Gmail account image. And I just remember Joe and Kate were like, why can't this be the cover? And I was like, but it's too weird. Like who, who would like this but me? And apparently, plenty of people liked the image. Um, oh, yeah. And I love the R. I always look at the R. There's only <laughs> one R in the title. And I love uh, I love the way it looks. It looks like it's got a boot or something. Yeah. I don't know. It looks like it's standing or something. I don't know. I'm, I always look at the R when I look at the title. I have it right here. I have the book right here in my hand. The R has a lot of personality. Absolutely. I love it. I love it. It's great. It's great. But yeah, you know, I think y'all did a great job. You know, I couldn't be happier. I couldn't be happier. It's my first book. I don't know. It was reviewed in Rolling Stone, and it was the only place they wrote about it. I couldn't be happier. It was amazing. It was, it was definitely a really, really big deal for host publications. Yeah, yeah. I know. There's also I know there's also this guy has a he's got a YouTube channel. I guess yeah, yeah. YouTube channel. He's got a show called uh, Books Better Than Food, and he did a whole episode. <laughs> this guy named Cliff on Got to the Bullshit Also Texas, and it's got like over 12.5 thousand views. You know, so I'm sure this mm-hmm. I'm sure this guy. I I actually I know for a fact that because of this guy reviewed a lot of people who otherwise would not have found his book have found it. So that's crazy. That's That's a crazy little phenomenon that exists in culture. Yeah. I will say that after Cliff reviewed your book on Better Than Food on YouTube, I became a huge fan of his. He has just such a great book talk conversations about a lot of them are small press titles. Yeah, um, yeah, he's yeah. a lot of fun to watch. He and then is. I remember, I remember Jim Jarmusch posted a photo of your book on Instagram. Yeah, he did. He did. That was amazing. Yeah. That was like mind blowing to me. I love Jim Jarmusch's work, of course. You know? So I don't know, like I'm happy. I'm super mm-hmm. happy with a small group of people that have, you know, found, found this book and they continue oh, yeah. to find it. I feel yeah. I still hear it all the time. So I'm really, uh, I'm thrilled about it. I couldn't be I couldn't be more thrilled, you know, this book, you know. I worked really hard on this book for years and years. So, so 
Uh, yeah, it's it's. I see it as kind of your you know your debut, and you're 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 very much teaching yourself, and that's that's one of the things that is real interesting about you know your your writing history is you taught yourself yeah. how to write. You taught yourself how to write by reading and reading and reading and reading and. So is that something you just always wanted to do was to write stories? You just yeah. loved fiction so much that you wanted to create your own? I really, you know, I, I don't know. I think I just had like a, I don't know, like kind of like a fool's journey all throughout. You know, I just did this naturally. I just went to my job and I wrote stories until I got a book published. It took years and years. I was just yeah. talking. I was just talking the other day with a friend of mine who, you know, 20 years ago we moved to Austin together uh, for the first time. I ended up moving back to the valley after after less than a year. But uh, we we both wanted to be writers, and I was like, man, if I if we if I would have known 20 years ago, if you would have told me that it would have been another 20 years before I got published, I would not have believed you. I would not have believed anyone, you know. Yeah. If yeah. I would have known that to be the reality in 2005 or 2004, I just I I I don't think I would have believed that to be the I thought I thought at any moment like the Pulitzer community was about to walk into my house, you know, oh, yeah. and, oh, me, yeah. and award me the the big prize or something <laughs> back then. So, uh I didn't know anything about like going to MFA programs or how people became writers. Now I just, you know, I just had a typewriter and I just wrote my stories and I had a lot of fun doing it. I was just naive and I was totally fine with nobody reading my stuff. I was totally fine with nobody ever. I, I remember, you know, thinking that, you know, it'd just be funny. Like when I was constantly getting rejected and stuff, 2012 or 2013, when I was submitting a lot, you know, I thought it would be really funny, like, you know, I never got published. And when the day I died, there's all these, like, manuscripts out there. I'm like, you know what? That, too, would be something to be proud of, you know? Yeah. It's really exciting that, you know, to move on a little bit, we, after after Death to the Bullshit Artist was published, you did publish your first novel, Tears of the Truffle Pig with FSG, which is, you know, a huge deal. Yeah. And, uh, you know, were you working on Tears of the Truffle Pig at the same time? You said earlier that Bullshit Artist was kind of your side gig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and I, like I said, like I didn't finish it until like the fall of 2015. The first draft of Tears of the Truffle Pig, I started it in October 6th, 2014 and finished it January 6th, 2015. So I'd already had a draft of Tears of the Truffle Pig that was sent out and submitted. By the time that that article came out in Texas Monthly, and actually that that Texas Monthly article contained like the first four sentences of my unpublished novel at the time. So because of that, because I'd already finished Tears of the Truffle Pig, I was more comfortable with going back to finishing and finishing. Uh, that's the bullshit artist because i because like i said i already had the last three stories i had them already began they already they each had a few pages they just needed to be finished mm -hmm. 
So I just forced myself to finish it then. So by that time, yeah. So so that's why it was my side project. So I, I didn't finish it until my novel was already finished. And I, you know, and I didn't want to fin- I didn't want to finish Death of the Bullshit Artist because I knew that part of it was already published. You know, I knew that uh, I knew that a publisher would not would be less susceptible to wanting to publish an entire collection that had already been partly published. You know, so I was and I didn't learn this until like until. I was already working on mm-hmm, mm-hmm. on, it, on it, and then trying to find a publisher at the time too. So, so I was like, okay, I need to find a novel, and I need to find a I need to finish a novel. I need to find a publisher for the novel before I finished Death of the Bullshit Artists of Texas. So I did exactly that, and yeah, and by the time I knew it, I had these two manuscripts, and that's why they came out almost at the same time, you know? Right. Almost at the same time. And, you know, and even in the stories of Valley-esque, I already had some of the stories in Valley-esque, and I already had really a fourth of the novel that's going to come out, like, in in two years from now. It's called Brother Bronte. But uh, so I always had, like, four. I had, like, four five, four projects. So I'm in the point in my life mm-hmm. right now where I'm almost caught up with all the projects that I've been working on the last 10 years, you know. Uh-oh. So I'm, like, not in a hurry at all. I'm, like, oh my, I'm just, like... At a glance, if you look at my publishing history, it looks like I wrote everything really, really fast and that I'm a really fast writer. And I guess in a way I am, but in another more accurate way, I would say that I just went unpublished for a long time and always had these projects that were unfinished, you know. They were gradually finished, you know. Yeah, so uh, the stories in Ballyesque, are they post-Truffle Pig or...? Uh, I would say like now... I would say uh, like three or four of them are before Truffle Pig, and most of them are new. Most of them are from within the last five, six years. So I did that on purpose. I, I had older stories I could have put in there, but no. But my writing really changed drastically, just like in, it did. Just in the last, yeah, just in the last, I don't know, five, six years, seven years. So no, that's one of the you know with your description of the way that bullshit artists came together it's it's something really to watch as you read yeah. the stories the development in your writing style and uh to again outside the last story being almost a novella yeah. being after put together after you'd written a full novel and uh it's a whole different world than the first two or three stories in the book. It's amazing. To, you can actually watch your development throughout yeah. the uh, throughout the book. And then, you know, Valley-esque is just something, you know, again, it's the valley and it's, it's very magical. It's yet beyond. To have put a, an earlier story in there, it would stick out like a sore thumb. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, and... You know, and I want to say also, you know, I want to put in, you know, the Death of the Bulls, you know, now that is coming out, it's my third book, you know, and, you know, now I can really see, you know, that with these three books make some kind of like trilogy. My, I'm going to, this is my like unofficial, like, like South Texas, RGV, Rio Grande Valley trilogy, you know, wow. books, you know, that's the bullshit artist, the first one, Tears of Truffle Pig and Valley, yes, kind of closes it all out, you know. I haven't lived in the Valley. You know, next year will mark my 18th year living in Austin. You know, I live, I live in the Valley 18 years, you know, you know, I live from 
1987 to 2005, pretty much. So, so I've pretty much been gone as much, you know, for half of the time that I've been in this country, you know, now 18 years. So mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, three books is fine. I, I got it out of my system. Three books about the place where I grew up. I said the border. That's cool. I'm happy, you know, leaving these three books as like some kind of, I don't know, I guess statement or something, you know, or like a document. That's a wonderful document. And it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful creative process. And uh, looking through, you know, the stories are one thing, but the novel is a whole world. It's a whole world. It's, it's like you change much more than street signs and water towers in the uh, novel. And, uh, you know, I think it's, it's a nice hefty centerpiece to that kind of view. You know, I, I love the idea. I hadn't thought of it as this is a trilogy and uh, you know, it's, it's nice. It's bookended with two, two volumes of short stories. Yeah, definitely. You know, I got it out of my system, you know, and really, and they each deal with like I don't know with like legends in some kind of way you know yeah. like that's what the bullshit artists of South Texas are like these you know musical underground legends that you know go on document that you'll never find on Wikipedia you know yeah and Tears of the Truffle Pig is legends in a different kind of way in like a mythological kind of way and like a in a dreams kind of way you know mm-hmm and in Valley-esque, I deal with a lot of like there's a there's a few characters, real life people in there, like Frederick Chopin, the pianist. Uh, there's Lee Harvey. There's a Lee Harvey Oswald story in there. So also like these, so these like real legends that have infiltrated like our culture here in Texas and in this landscape. So so it's a good way, like you say, to you know to bookend it with like uh, short stories and uh, you know. I'm, I'm satisfied with this trilogy of of, of work here. You know? Yeah, I'm so excited about the release of Valley S. You, you. you let you me so have much. an advanced reader's copy way back in September. I read it, you know, in a weekend and, and gave it away and I miss it. And I can't wait till I have it again. You'll get a finished finish copy here real soon. <laughs> he's He's telling me to hurry up and finish it. He let me borrow it. Um, I, yeah. I started to read it on that plane to Philly, and it's incredible. Um, I do, I do want to rewind, if if I may, because obviously I love Death to the Bullshit Artists, but Valley esque, you really have shifted and changed dramatically as a writer. Um, what would you say influenced this change? If you can pinpoint that, or is it just maturing as an artist? I don't know maturing. I think that's a that's a loaded <laughs> word right there. Uh, I would say I don't know. Maybe a little more boredom. I don't know. Like I'm like, why write a story? Why write a book? There's so many people out there writing stories, writing unpublished books. Why? Why do it? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't do it unless I have fun doing it. Yeah. Uh, and if I can do, and if something hits me and I just do it, you know, uh, it just it just fun to me i don't know i just do it if there's something that only i can do i do it you know like mm-hmm. in my mid early 20s early or mid 20s i watched every i watched every francis ford coppola movie with the commentary that i could find back when you know director's commentary was like a 
big novelty, you know, like a 2005, 2006, 2007, at least to me. And, uh, you know, and I just learned so much about storytelling, mm -hmm. you know, in the end, in the end, whether filmmaking, you know, or whether writing a novel, whatever, it's storytelling, you know, it's, it's, we, everybody has the same concerns, you know. So I really, one of the things that, one of the many things that I learned about storytelling from listening to the commentary tracks from Francis Ford Coppola is that, you know, he says he just, he just relates an anecdote about how he never, for better or worse, he only makes movies if he knows that only he can make them. You know, if, if, if it wasn't for him, would this movie exist? And if the answer is yes, the movie could exist without him, he won't do it. You know, like he was approached to direct the movie. I think it's called 13 Days. Uh, you know, it came out like 20 years ago. It's about the Cuban Missile Crisis or something like that, you know. And uh, he they was given the script and he read the script, you know, he was offered to direct it and he passed on it, you know, and somebody else made it. And it was a fine movie or whatever it was, you know, but it existed without him. So I'm like... So I, I I approach the same philosophy. I'm like, mm -hmm. like today I had a story like uh, about like uh, on Vice uh, about Selena that I wrote, you know, and I'm like, why write a story about Selena? You know, why, why do it? You know, and I'm like, okay, if I can approach it in a way that only I can, I do it. You know, so I wrote a story, you know, I, this story came to me that is like a last person on earth narrative where Selena is the last person on earth for some reason, you know, and, it's on Vice all this weekend, you know, and, uh, you know, so that's why I did it. I'm like, otherwise, why do it? You know, it's so, mm -hmm. otherwise it's just boring. I'm just, otherwise I'm just, you know, yeah, I'm bored myself and I'm writing it, you know, so how would a reader feel, you know? So I don't do things unless I'm excited about it. I don't do it. And that's how I approach, I guess, all my life, you know. I will say that like, as, as your colleague and, and friend and someone who, was fortunate to to have a small part in publishing Deaths of the Bullshit Artists, um, being personally influenced by how you just do things, you do them with joy, with love, with passion, um, has personally shaped me as, as an artist and just had like a positive effect in my life. Because I agree, when, when I watch like a, a film that anybody could have directed, but it was handed to someone that is like notable or has their own style and it just doesn't work. It's just so glaringly obvious. There's a lot yeah. of people doing the same thing, but everyone should always remember that your own voice, everybody has their own experience, personal experience that they can bring to art to, to really make it their own and to elevate it. And, and I feel like, yeah, being, in proximity to you and witnessing um, the art that you make and your perspective is really, really special. Oh, thank you so much. No, that's really nice of you to say. Thank you. Yeah, I, I can just say, you know, not being an artist or anything like that, that my biggest memory was when I did read, sit down and read Death to the Bullshit Artists of South Texas all the way through. Fernando had been working at uh, Malvern Books for quite a while. And uh, I read the book and I, I went to work with Fernando the next day. And I just sat there and I looked at him. And all I could think was, my 
God, that goes on inside that head, you know, because you, 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 you're generally such an understated kind of guy, Fernando. And, you know, there's a lot of energy and a lot of passion, but you know, what happens in death to the bullshit or is South Texas? That's pretty wild. Yeah, it yeah. is. It is. So, uh, I, I really, I really appreciate your imagination, your energy, your love for literature is what uh, I really, you. really appreciate. You read everything. Oh, wow. I try to. Now, there's people that read more than me. I read less now than I read before. I, I wish I could read more. When you were just carrying around Finnegan's Wake for fun, that was like, <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. But uh, so... So this is the trilogy, you know, Valley S comes out May 3rd. We're all really excited about that. I've ordered it already uh-huh. from Malvern, so hopefully it'll get there. And uh, but you said this is a trilogy, but you mentioned there's another novel coming. Oh, uh, yeah. We'll see when it happens. It's due out. Uh, bu- 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 what year is this? 2024. It comes out 2024. So I'm like, so it's like two years from now. Yeah. So I'm like, so I'm like, I'm fine. I'm like, I'm not writing anything. No, I'm just kind of, I'm just kind of like learning new things. I wrote a screenplay, so I'm trying to, I'm trying to awesome get that off the ground and trying to within the next year, try to do a few more uh, maybe uh, film projects before I get grinding on uh, another novel. So we'll see. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, you know, one of the things, you know, I wanted to mention, if not talk about is your visual aspect as well. Your photography is just, it's just blowing up and uh, yeah. yeah, it's just, it's just so wonderful. Oh, uh, the you. things you post. Thank you. Thank you. I have a great time. Yeah. You say you always carry a camera around with you. I do. Yeah. I could. Uh, you, you're, you're going for kind of a street photography kind of thing. I don't know. I don't want to call it that. I, I, I just think of your title, your subgenre of street cats, Boston. Oh but, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, I oh, get yeah. the, uh, you know, there's a naturalness in your photography that, uh, I really appreciate. Thank you. I love photography. I don't know if I consider myself a photographer, but I carry around a camera all the time and I take pictures of stuff. Uh, the times that I try to do photography for money, I fail miserably because I'm bad at it. <laughs> I'm bad at doing things for money. I'm bad at doing, you know, there was a, there was a period where I would try to do like photography things for money and I'm like, God, I hate this. I hate Don't call man. Fernando to photograph your wedding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i said no you know whenever i'm invited to people's weddings i'm like you know uh you know i don't know i'll take pictures and stuff but i'm not gonna be you know i can't be a photographer i'm just not good at it you know i'm just not good at it so I li- i'm good at like you know being oblivious and walking and then see a piece of trash in the street and taking a photograph of it you know i can do that yeah yeah that. that's the kind of thing you take pictures of i mean you know if you look at your instagram yeah I take pictures of like yes, with like yeah, street street cats and trash, you know. <laughs> that's pretty much what I think. My, my that's my aesthetic now. Street cats and trash. Every once in a while, I'll take a picture of a neighborhood person. Like I have a photograph I just took of uh, that I just saw of uh, Gilmore, the great Michael Gilmore. So. Oh yeah. So I'm excited to. Show well, that. he's a subject. <laughs> yeah. Totally. I don't want to 
to keep you too much longer, Fernando, but um, is there anything else that you want to plug um, in the coming months? Uh, do I want to plug? I don't know. No, I'm not really, you know, but I'm just here having a, a good time. I'm glad. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, thank you for having me here, uh, Host Dispatch. Uh, great to talk about bullshit artists, go back and uh, think about the crazy publishing history that this book has had. There's still uh, way, way more other things about the publishing history, you know, like, uh, you know, like the first publisher, the guy who clapped, uh, what is it called? I have it right here. Who was yeah. the, the Center for, the Chicago Center for Photography and Literature was called, the first press. Anyway, this guy, he was like, you're you running the, this pretty much this under this, this like literary Ponzi scheme. Yes. So uh, that's how that first volume got published. You know, this guy was pretty much cranking out these, uh, you know, limited editions of books uh, that would only sell probably like a hundred copies, but they paid. So he paid, he put out like maybe two, two every couple of weeks and uh, he'd paid his rent and stuff like that. So I never really made any money off of it or whatever, you know, but I ended up, you know, winning that award from Sanderson Cisneros, you know. So because of that incident with the first printing of it, I always, always feared, mm-hmm. you know, and not being published after that. I always thought, my God, I'm going to become one of the bullshit artists in the story. You know, <laughs> uh, I'm, oh destined, I'm destined to be one of these people, you know. And, and I had this fear. I'm like, oh, no, I've become one of the characters in my book you know so (laughs) thanks to host publications i did not that did not come to me you know yeah (laughs) joe what what drove you to to select this to revive host publications it was right there i knew fernando i i had read some of the uh the stories from the earlier edition because yeah yeah because you'd I met you because you did an event at the store with that book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I read some of the stories in there. And then when you said it was available, I didn't care. I knew that this Chicago light, whatever, I knew that was, uh, you know, host publications was fine with moving on with that. And, uh, you know, and s- spreading it wider in our own small way. You know, because it's still a limited edition. I mean, I think we've only printed what, like, twenty five hundred copies of the book. Yeah, you yeah, them. yeah, yeah. And uh, but Great. I, I really like the book, and I like it more and more. And uh, watching you develop through Tears of the Truffle Pig and then Valley-esque has been great and to see your success is uh really really wonderful oh thank you so much what a what a ride and what a what an honor to be here yeah and thank you for uh, keeping working at malvern books (laughs) i love it i love i love working at malvern thank you for having me uh you know it's a great uh great honor in my life all right well Thanks for chatting with us this morning, Fernando. Thank you. Yeah. No problem, y'all. Anytime. Let's do this again some other time. 